0: I don't know about you, but have you ever waited and waited for something that you were so excited to receive? And then when you got it, it was kind of a letdown. Like. Well, that was not the case Christmas morning of nineteen eighty-four. When I waited and waited patiently for Voltron to arrive, and he eventually did. And thanks be to Santa, it was all good. (laughs) Now I remember sitting at the top of the stairs of that Christmas morning, nineteen eighty four, with my brother and sister. Uh, being so excited, we could literally, like you almost feel your soul leaving your body. You're like literally quivering, it's, like shaking. We can literally cannot, like have you ever drank too much coffee late in the day and then you try to go to sleep at night and you stare at the ceiling and just kind of convulse? You can't turn your brain off, like you can smell colors, you've had too much caffeine, you can feel your hair growing, you can see into the fourth dimension. That's what it was like sitting at the top of the stairs, waiting. This thrill, really, a thrill of hope, a thrill of expectation. And I eventually got Voltron in all of his Japanese glory, and uh, I kind of wish I still had it, actually. Now they're going for about $600 on eBay. But I remember last week, uh, we did the children's moment in the sanctuary, and uh, Anne-Marie asked one of the kids, have you ever had to wait for something? And that's really hard, and they said, one kid said, yeah, I had to wait for my t- teeth to fall out so I could get some money, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good answer. But Advent is typically, it is seen as a, a season of penitence, like Lent. It is a season of waiting, and it's not just a bad thing. I think it's a, it's a season in which we spiritually prepare ourselves for uh, the birth of the, of the Savior on Christmas Eve. It is a season of a faithful, patient hope, essentially a season where we do sit at the top of the stairs. We will receive something far greater than a piece of plastic when we are finished the waiting we have, and we can indeed have a thrill of hope. In the prophet Isaiah's day, they were waiting for a thrill of hope, they were waiting for deliverance, they were looking forward to that day, but that day really didn't seem to come if not for quite a while. In 586 B.C., the Babylonians came and sacked Jerusalem, essentially burned it. They destroyed Solomon's temple. Uh, thousands of Jews were taken in captivity. Thousands more were murdered and killed. The royal line of David, through which the Messiah was supposed to come, and we know he did come, but he was supposed to come through the royal line of David, it appeared to be dead. That Davidic dynasty seemed to be over. Even the fig tree that has historically represented the nation of Israel, seemed to be chopped at the base and destroyed. I mean, the symbols by which they lived as a people were were over, and yet there was life in the roots. There's always life in the roots this new life that would manifest itself in an unseen way out from what seemed to be impossible odds from which, as Isaiah says, a branch or a rod will come. If you even look at the 500 years before Christ's birth, essentially between the book of Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, and the gospel of Matthew is roughly 500 years. And, 500 years, roughly seven generations, they had no word from God. No prophet spoke. No word of the Lord was given for the people. Now, during that 500 years, the Mosaic covenant continued. The Levitical law continued. Uh, The outward sign of religion continued. But inwardly, it was insufficient. If you read Malachi, which I recommend you do, you see how God is very upset with these these sacrifices being offered at the temple. For 500 years, the people waited. They waited in a system that essentially was chopped at the base as well. Jesus even indicated in Matthew 13 that many holy men and women had prayed and longed to see what they were seeing when they talked to Jesus. People were waiting for me to come and you get to see him face to face. But whether it's the people of Isaiah's day who long for deliverance, for a thrill of hope, or the people of leading up to Christ's birth for 500 years, they were were waiting, and we can learn something from them, from those stories, from that history, that God will allow something to pass away in order to birth something new. God will let it die so that he can get what he wants. You see it in nature all the time. Of course, Leaves fall from trees to prepare for the new growth of spring. Animals may shed their skin or molt their feathers. Children lose their teeth and get money. (laughs) If the former thing does not die and pass away, how in the world can there be room for something new? So in Isaiah 11, what image of hope do we get? A tree stump. Maybe not what you expected. No one really likes tree stumps. I have cut down trees, so many of you have as well, and you see the stump just sits there. Now some stumps might get some branches out of it, like an oak tree, some oaks will do that. You get a little bush growing out of the stump, and but if you've ever attempted to remove a tree stump by hand, you know that is a fresh day of hell. I mean, it is rough, rough labor. And if you've ever watched enough America's Funniest Home Videos, you know, don't try and pull a tree stump out with a pickup truck. Back it up real quick. Back it up real quick. Drive, hit it. Yeah. Now, this isn't in the Bible, but renting a stump grinder is cheaper than a new transmission. But tree stumps are disappointing because they remind us of what used to be there. They remind us of what was. No one looks at a tree stump and feels optimistic or hopeful. Oh, how nice, a tree stump. It's a place to sit, perhaps. Now, if you've ever read Shel Silverstein's book, The Giving Tree, which does not make me cry, um, you know that tree stumps can be a life-giving thing. But stumps are stubborn. They're difficult to remove, and they remind us of loss they remind us of what used to be there and some of us may look back on our lives and look at the losses losses are really tempting to dwell on aren't they you know if, if you i played basketball for a while you know you have a tendency to dwell on everything you did wrong right you don't think about all the good things that happened in the game you always think about the losses you see what what was what what could have been and you dwell in that place this that negative space of what should be standing there is not standing there anymore. Like someone that has lost a limb and they still feel the phantom movements, we long for what used to be. But I would encourage you to be wary of that because it essentially is coveting. There's a reason why God put that as one of the Ten Commandments, do not covet, to pine for what used to be, for what you can't control, to, to hunger for the thing that's not yours or the thing that's gone that will not return. And, but you have to be reminded that we have to wait sometimes for resurrection. For something to be reborn, it has to die first, like the shell of an outside of a seed. It must pass away. God will allow certain things to die in order for them to be born anew. God doesn't only see what should be. Thanks be to God, he doesn't. God always challenges us to see what will be, what will be. Don't look at the poverty. Look at the promise. Don't look at the stump, but look to the Savior. In Isaiah chapter 11, we're going to walk through it again. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was King David's father. So the messianic king was supposed to, was going to come through David, the line of David. It's foretold in Ruth 4:22, First Samuel 16, and other places. You see that the messianic king was coming through the line of Jesse, and the shoot, the branch, will not just come out of the stump. But go back and look. Where, where, where's the branch going to come from? The roots. It's not coming from the stump. There's still life in the roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might. All these things we clearly see being fulfilled in Jesus. Did you know that Jesus fulfilled all 86 messianic prophecies, there's at least 86, in the Old Testament? Do you know what the odds of that are? Imagine that you, you coated the entire state of Texas with silver dollars two feet thick, and then I blindfolded you and pushed you out into the state of Texas and you had to pick up one of the silver dollars that had an X on it, you would be the Messiah. Those are the odds that Jesus fulfilled in all the Old Testament messianic prophecies. And you clearly see this is who Jesus is. He is, he is full of wisdom and understanding, counsel and of might, authority. He is always correct. He always has knowledge. Fear of the Lord is really an attitude of the heart. It's not like walking in it's, it's about respect and awe and reverence and wonder and holiness. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Clearly all these things are typified and shown to be in the life of Jesus. Now the next verses of Isaiah imply a future reality. And some things you see that came true in the first advent, Jesus' birth, will, will come true in the second advent of Jesus' return. So there are certain things Isaiah prophesies that have not really come to be yet. but then we come to a point of these next verses where we get a picture of a future earth that is not yet to be, that will be the result of his work. Isaiah shows us who the Messiah is, and then he's going to show us the result of what he does, and that is that there will be no longer enmity or violence on the earth, there will be no need for it. All things will be in harmony with, all, with itself. And the knowledge of the Lord will cover all, every aspect of the face of the earth, all will have wisdom and knowledge, uh, knowledge of who the Lord is. There will be no clouded thinking about who God is. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. Again, there's no need for violence and eating and killing any longer. The calf and the lion will feed together. A little child will lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young shall lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. So the lion will be a vegetarian, I guess. Uh, they will not need to eat meat any longer. The, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the, the snake, the viper, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den, the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, of the, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The last time I checked, the waters cover the sea in a very expansive way, and he's pointing to a day that the result of the work of this Messiah that has to come will cause all to know who the Lord is. And this is for our benefit. It is for our good. Now, as Gentiles, all of us here in this room, we were grafted into this, wild, this branch. Uh, we, were, uh, we were not, well, as in Romans 11, Paul writes about this, about, um, yes, you have been brought into this new family. He says, he's writing to the Gentiles in Rome, But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children. Friends, that's good news. Sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch, not the root that's, that might be something to write on your bathroom mirror. You're just a branch. You're not the root. You're not the Messiah. Don't try to be. It's okay. And we'll, 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 we'll stop there. But this is just a great reminder of the grace of God, that his plan of salvation through this coming king was not only reserved for the nation of Israel, but it was intended for all people to receive and know the goodness and eternal life in Christ. So what better place to come than is to the Lord's table this morning. As we come before his table, this is a place of ultimate grace, where no matter who we are or where we've come from, we can, we can be people that say, come sinners, poor and needy, weary and wrecked by the fall, come and receive at the table, there is grace enough for all. That you and I have been grafted into this branch we've been grafted into this story not of our own merit not of our own ability not of our own religious actions but purely by faith we come before this table this morning receiving with open hands this grace of God that he pours out for all people I'm going to say a prayer and then Ken is going to come and lead us in the great thanksgiving and as I pray I invite you as the spirit leads Pour out your heart to God. Draw draw near to Him with all that you have. And see that this meal you're about to receive is totally a gift, the ultimate gift for you and for all. Let's pray. God, it's in your mercy and your grace that we are invited to this table. We thank you, O God, that it is by your redemptive hand that you desire all men and women, boys and girls, to come into a relationship with you. Search our hearts and know us. And see if there is any unrighteous way within us and lead us to the way everlasting we come before-